An older preacher related a conversation he had with a 16-year-old girl. And she said to him, she said, Christianity obviously hasn't done much for you, and I don't believe it's done anything for my parents. And that being the case, she said, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? I think all of us who are Christians who had that question asked to us would probably shout out the answer. What it has in it for you is salvation. Salvation comes from living the Christian life. But to this young woman, that's something that she wasn't even thinking about. That was way off in the distant future. Salvation, eternity, that's something you think about when you're old and ready to die. Right now, she's not concerned or worried about that at all. And so she repeated the question. She says, but what's in it for me? Have you seen this acronym? You know, the kids uh, uh, with their texting and, and their email and so forth, they've come up with acronyms to stand for certain expressions that are frequently used. Uh, you, for instance, maybe have heard of the acronym LOL, laugh out loud. Uh, and, and other such acronyms that they use in their texting and with their emails. Well, this is one of those. W-I-I-F-M. You know what it stands for? It stands for exactly that. What's in it for me? Unfortunately, uh, that has become the outlook of people in our day and time. We live in a very selfish age. And the big question is, what's in it for me when it comes to anything? But if we're going to promote Christianity, they'll ask, what's in it for me? What's the advantage of living the Christian life? We believe that there are strong and positive, powerful answers to that question. And we want to deal with those in our lesson this morning. We thank you for being here. Thanks to everybody who's come. We appreciate your presence very much, and we're encouraged by the time we can spend together in studying from God's Word and worshiping Him. We appreciate you wanting to be a part of it. We have visitors this morning. We're always grateful for our visitors. We hope you'll come back every time you have a chance. And as always, we say, ask questions if you have them. If you see something, if you hear something, if there's some question in your mind about what's done or said, please ask. So we'll try to give a Bible answer. Uh, we'll try to explain. Uh, if we're in error, we'll, we'll certainly make attempts to correct any error uh, that is pointed out. But we're, we're open to your questions. Thanks for being here this morning. Let's see if we can answer from the Bible this very basic question, what's in it for me? I think there are a lot of things we could point out, and I'm not, certainly not saying that I'll cover them all this morning, but I, I think we can give some very powerful uh, suggestions. One is, for instance, that living as a Christian provides a standard of morality to guide my decisions. Uh, and that's very valuable. You don't have to look very far to see a world in trouble. Uh, there's a lot of issues in our world. A lot of bad decisions are being made and unfortunately, people are suffering the horrible consequences that follow from making those bad decisions. But the Bible, I believe, uh, teaches and provides a way of living that promotes stability and well-being. Uh, and not only does it teach it, by experience it has proven to work for thousands of years. People who've lived by the biblical principles have been blessed and their lives have prospered because they chose to do so. Now, my thinking is that what sets the Bible apart in regards to a standard to live by is that it's not just that it gives rules that ought to be enforced like a police state would enforce rules. That's not the gist of it. 
The, the Bible sets forth a standard of morality that changes the heart, and then actions follow. Notice, for instance, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, beginning, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Then he goes on to say, But I say to you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Jesus didn't say, Just don't kill the guy. He said, Change your heart. Think right about your fellow man. We know that thoughts precede actions. And so the Bible has set a standard, a very high standard of conduct, which says not only don't do wrong things, but think right so you will do right. In that same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You have heard it said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Jesus, Jesus taught a standard of morality that would really work because it changes the hearts of people and gets them to think in proper ways. Do you see that? Uh, it works. It's a system that works. And it's, mani- it's been manifested in the lives of faithful Christians everywhere for a long, long time. Jesus summarized the very idea of having right thoughts and pursuing the right course in that reading that Anthony read for us earlier from Mark chapter 12, beginning verse 28. One of the scribes came and asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. I would just ask a very simple question. In this troubled world we live in, and I know some of you have been using expressions like I've been using. It just seems like the things are coming unraveled. There's all kinds of strife and issues and war and contentions everywhere. Just let me ask you a very obvious question. What if everyone lived like this? What if everyone lived by the standards taught in the Bible? What a wonderful world it would be. Now, it's not saying that people haven't misapplied the Bible. We agree that people have misapplied the Bible and misused it. But if everyone lived as the Bible truly taught, it would be a great thing. And so, what's in it for me to live as the Bible teaches? Well, it gives me a standard of morality to guide me, and that standard has been demonstrated to work consistently throughout the centuries. I'll tell you something else that I benefit from as I try to live like the Bible teaches, and that's a way of living that brings meaning and fulfillment. When you boil it all down, what's life about anyway? What what are we here for? What's the purpose of our existence? What are we doing here? What's it all been for? You know, the fact of the matter is that in just a very few short years, every one of us in this room is going to be dead. And that includes even the very small children, given uh, a few years, all of us, if time goes on, if the world continues to stand, all of us will, will die. Because, but of course, we're just following what's happened to generations before us. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. We all know we have an appointment with death. But I just ask you to think back to a previous generation or two. Think back two generations ago. My guess is that we would have difficulty finding anybody in our assembly here this morning who can remember someone who lived two generations ago. You know, one generation is our parents' generations back. 
two generations back would be the generation of our grandparents. Now, we might be able to recall the name of our grandparents. Some of us might even have difficulty with that. Can you name all four of your grandparents and give your grandmother's maiden names? Maybe not. I'm, I, I don't think I could do that. If you could do that, go one generation further back to your great-grandparents. you got eight of those. Can you name all of your great-grandparents? And my guess is, unless you've done a lot of work in your genealogical studies, the vast majority of us can't do that. And those are our own ancestors. Those are our own kinfolks. We don't even know their names. So what's that tell us going to happen to us? We're going to die and be forgotten. And any endeavor that we've pursued in this life is going to be long gone, long forgotten. What is the purpose of life? What is the meaning? And what is the answer to that big why am I here? You know, Job, we're studying the book of Job on Wednesday nights, and Job dealt with that frustration somewhat when he viewed life from a strictly physical perspective. He said, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. We're just here for a few days. It's just like a, a flower. It withers and it's gone and forgotten. There's a lot of futility in that. A lot of vanity. Uh, a, a, a lot of just absolute frustration comes from the idea, why am I here? What will be the purpose of my living? Solomon, who was, I think, if you could estimate it accurately, probably the richest man who ever lived in, in the history of time. King Solomon said, Vanity of vanities, said the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit, of a, what profit hath a man of all the labors which he undertaketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. Solomon was frustrated with that, with that reality. By the way, just as a side note, we might point out that our Jehovah's Witnesses' friends are inaccurate when they use this verse to teach that the world will never be destroyed because we know that would cause a conflict with other Bible verses that teach that the world will be destroyed in the end, the whole physical universe destroyed, we believe, in the end. But the Jehovah's Witnesses try to use this verse to teach that the earth will not be destroyed. We know that it will. But this is Solomon speaking from his this life perspective. One generation follows another. They just keep coming. And this generation is forgotten as the next generation takes its place. And it's really, really frustrating. What's it all for? What's it about? Solomon, in all of his wealth, tried to pursue an answer to that question. He tried everything available to him. He tried physical pleasures. He tried physical accomplishments. He tried everything that his wealth would allow him to do. And in the end, he finally realized, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And it's still true. Uh, we're nearly 3,000 years later than Solomon. But in 3,000 years, the answer to that question has not changed. And so living a life as a Christian, gives us that purpose and meaning fulfillment and gives us a view beyond just this immediate physical perspective. I tell you, I think that being a Christian is beneficial because it gives me knowledge of and about my Creator. We encourage people to look around. Just look around at all the things that are around us. And we believe that there's abundant evidence for the intelligent design of the universe. It's hard to imagine that the things we see could have just happened by chance. Who did all of this? This intelligent design that we sometimes talk about, what was that intelligence? Who was it 
and, and, and then, of course, more than that, is if there is this intelligent designer, what does he want of me? What does he want me to be doing? Well, the Bible answers that, and we can be so grateful that it does. I, I cannot imagine how scary it would be to live in a, in a situation wherein you sensed some greater power, but knew nothing of that power or what that power wanted from you. But the Bible tells us about our Creator and what He wants. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning verse 11, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. What a wonderful thing to know the mind of God. He has revealed Himself to us. And so when I live as a Christian, I have that benefit of knowing of and about my Creator. Uh, we are not left to wonder whether He approves us or not. We are not left to wonder, what will He do to me? How will He judge me? How will He treat me? In 1 John chapter 2, beginning verse 3, Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth His word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in Him. And so, uh, we can have the advantage of not only knowing Him, knowing His will, but knowing how He views us by virtue of keeping the commands that are taught in His Word. So, I hope you agree that these are valuable things to me. What's in it for me? There's an answer to that question. I have a standard of morality. I have meaning and fulfillment in life. I have knowledge about my Creator. I would go further. I would say that we have an association with the best people in our own community. What community do you live in? We live here, of course, in Columbia, Tennessee, Murray County, Tennessee. And so we're talking about our community. But I believe you could say this about any place where God's people are meeting. In whatever community they are, those people constitute the best people of that community. And if you're a member of the Lord's Church, you have the advantage of associating with the best people. I know I don't... I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of bad people out there. There's a lot of bad people out there. And if you choose to associate with them, then bad things will follow. Bad consequences will follow if you choose to be with bad people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says simply, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And that is certainly the case. But that's not our case. Our case is that we have good people to associate with. The kind of people that Peter was talking about in 2 Peter 1, verse 1, when he says, spoke of them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. We have those of like precious faith to associate with. And, of course, they then will not bring us down, will not tear us down, will not abuse us, but rather they will build us up. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, Paul said, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as ye do. Instead of being a negative influence on us that brings bad things into our lives, our association in the church is a positive thing that will build us up. You know, just as a side note here, we might encourage us all as Christians to realize that's our role, is to build one another up, not to bring one another down. Sometimes I think we miss that a little bit. and We can do better about that. 
We need to be bringing one another up, building one another up, edifying one another, because that's a great advantage of our association uh, in the church as Christians. I'll tell you something else that I think comes as a result of living like the Bible teaches, and that is a stable home life. Uh, you don't have to get on the Internet and do very much Google searching to find lots of statistics that talk about how seriously deteriorating our families are in our culture. Uh, one, just one example of those kind of stats, in the United States presently, uh, less than two-thirds of children live with both biological parents. And, and in some minority communities, less than a third of children live with their biological, both biological parents. Uh, and again, you don't have to be a brain surgeon to see the terrible consequences of that. As the family unit disintegrates, our society disintegrates. It, it's just happening. We know that it's happening. We see the obvious results. I believe, and I think you believe, that the Bible teaches a better way, a way that establishes stability and blessings for us in our families. Just an example. One, one section, it covers, it sort of overlaps two chapters in Ephesians, but starting in chapter 5, Paul tells wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then he says to the husband, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself forth. That works. Uh, wives should submit, but husbands make it easy when they love their, wi their wives the way that Jesus loved the church. Children, obey your parents. Ephesians 6, verse 1. But parents, you provoke not your children to wrath and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All those kinds of instructions, and we're talking some about those kind of things in our Sunday morning class when we talk about parenting from a biblical perspective. All of those kind of things bring blessings to us. When those rules and instructions are ignored, families have issues. When we live, the, and, and the more closely, by the way, we live according to the Bible pattern, the more and more blessings come to us in that regard. We have stable home lives if we live according to the Bible. I said at the outset, I, I would not suggest that I'm going to give you a, a categorical or a, a complete listing of all the benefits of living as a Christian, but I do believe that these things that we've suggested are definitely powerful answers to the question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Now, I would stop here to simply say that I actually that question itself needs some remedy because we shouldn't look at life simply, we shouldn't look at anything about life simply from the perspective of what's in it for me. I think that view itself is, is a, a problem. And I think that uh, those who estimate things simply from a what's in it for me perspective will not enjoy life, the kind of life that God wants us to live, because God wants us to live a selfless and a sacrificial kind of life. So we, we'll, we can talk about that in another lesson, but I would argue that anybody who's simply judging things in this way, what's in it for me, is going to fall far short. But, there, but in answer to the question per se, there are good answers and positive answers, and we've tried to enumerate some of those in our lesson this morning. But, bottom line, back to the bottom line, the bottom line, what's in it for me, is eternal salvation.
Remember, we started out by talking about that 16-year-old girl uh, who said, uh, eternity, salvation, that, I'm not worried about that right now. That's way off. That's for me when I'm old. Uh, that's, that's something you think about when you're ready to die. And so that 16-year-old girl didn't think that, that was anything that was even on her radar screen. Of course, we would say to that, no, no, young people die all the time. Uh, you can't put that off until you're 85 because you might not make 85. You can't put that off till you're 65. You might not make 65. You can't put that off till you're 25. You might not make 25. You need to be thinking about being right with God in order to gain eternal salvation for your soul. This is for you if you're young or old. It's for us all. And it's a great blessing that comes from living as a Christian, the hope of eternal salvation. Remember the familiar story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16? In Luke chapter 16, beginning verse 22, it came to pass the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son... Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Uh, there we have the story of things beyond the grave. You know, we can't see that with our physical eye, but the Bible gives us information about things beyond the grave. And, if you, and, the, and the reality is that at some point in the future, and it may not be very far distant in the future, but it, for some of us it will be sooner than, than for others. But for all of us, if time continues, we're going to be in one of the places described here uh, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Which one will it be? You will be with either the rich man or with Lazarus. And the fact of the matter is that you're making that decision right now. You're in the process of deciding that by whether or not you've chosen to obey God. Really, there are good things, great things, powerful things that come to us when we live as Christians. There's plenty in it for you. And our question is, will you avail yourself of all those kind of blessings by humbly submitting to the will of God? If you're not a Christian yet this morning, we would encourage you to make that decision. The Bible teaches what we call a plan of salvation. It's very simple. It's not hard to understand. You have to hear the truth and believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've not done that, we hope you'll make that decision without delay. If you need more study, we'd be glad to study more with you so that you can make an informed decision about that. If you're a Christian already, but you've slipped back and haven't been faithfully serving your Lord, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. Get right with God so that that hope is strong in you of eternity with Him forever. You're subject to the Lord's invitation. We encourage you to come while we stand and sing this song.